We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. How's it going? I'm recovering from a cold, so if I do (laughs) sound a little, like, not 100%, I apologize in advance, but I've been finding this thing for, like, a week at least, a week and a half. It started right when we were recording last time. Yeah, like... Like, it was just starting to affect your voice the last time we recorded. Yep, like, and then, like, really- that night, my voice was like, here we go. <laughs> it evolved to, like, grumpy old man that's been chain-smoking for 30 years. You want to sound like horror movie people for children? Children just <laughs> cry at the sound of your voice. Hey, child. <laughs> Would you like to see some puppies in my van? I've <laughs> <laughs> got a couple of melted Snickers back there. All right. This is the last episode of November. Dang. And interestingly enough, it is also episode 125. Oh, and as an aside, too, happy birthday to my fiancé when this comes out. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. I love you. I like you, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. It's important. So this week's episode is going to be about the lost children of the Alleghenies. Ooh. Okay. Have you heard of this before? I have not. Okay, cool. I mean, it's not cool, but... (laughs) It's actually horrifying, but I'm glad that you don't know about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad there is no knowledge there. (laughs) Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2022 grunge article by Jean Mendoza. 2022 Uncovering PA article by Jim Cheney. 2021 The Lineup article by Oren Gray. 2016 Daily American article by Dave Hurst, 1956 Pittsburgh Sun-Telegraph article by A.L. Ling, 1906 The Searchlight article, Atlas Obscura, PA Bucket List article by Rusty Glesner, Pennsylvania Mountains of Attractions, Wikipedia, and Wikitree. Wikitree, okay. Mm-hmm. It's like Ancestry. Fun Wikipedia. Fun new development. (laughs) And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. And as you may have guessed from the title, in this week's episode, we are discussing the mysterious deaths of two young children. Mm. There will not be anything graphic in this episode. Good. But if the death of children is triggering, you might want to skip this episode. That's fair. We'll see you next time. Yep, and we totally get it. Mm-hmm. The main subjects of today's episode are George and Joseph Cox, 
George S. Cox was born on April 28, 1849, and his little brother Joseph S. Cox was born on December 30, 1850. They were the sons of Samuel and Susanna Cox, who lived in a cabin in the Allegheny Mountains in Spruce Hollow. This area of Bedford County is particularly isolated, even today, located between Blue Knob and the Allegheny Front in southern Pennsylvania. Is this the kind of the pseudo-Appalachian mountain area? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not super familiar with it, so. Yeah. Wanted to ask. Their home was in a heavily wooded area, and the start of our tale takes place the morning of April 24th, 1856. I do want to state, for their birth dates, I took their death date and, like, subtracted. Mm. So, if they're not 100% exact, please don't come at me, because it's my first (laughs) time doing that, and it was a little difficult. Yeah. So, please don't be mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) Samuel, along with their faithful dog, Sport. Sport! I know! What a cute name. Yeah. Went out hunting for something for dinner. Grabbing his rifle, Samuel followed his dog into the foggy woods in search of game, leaving Susanna and their sons home until his return. Samuel and Sport returned later empty-handed, and the whole Mm -hmm. family was gathered in the cabin when Sport started barking. Ooh. Samuel once again grabbed his rifle and took off after sport in hopes that they could get a squirrel or something like that to cook for supper. Okay. Once Samuel returned home around two hours later, he was startled when he was greeted by Susanna, who was in hysterics. The boys were missing. Oh, that escalated quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. It appeared that the boys had followed their father into the woods and gotten lost while trying to catch up to him. No. As soon as they realized what had likely happened, they began frantically searching for the boys, calling for them loudly in the woods, which seemed to get foggier and foggier, in hopes that they would hear them and return. When the couple was unable to find their sons, Samuel enlisted the help of their nearest neighbors in Blue Knob to aid in the search. So based off my understanding because this is in April, Mm -hmm. it is still very much wintertime. Yeah. And especially in, like, the mountains. Yeah. But this day seemed to be particularly warm, hence the fog. Mm -hmm. So that kind of accounted for why there was such low visibility at this point in time. I feel like that would probably be fairly common in that area, too, fog, like melting snow. Just because of the elevation and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Word spread fast in the small community, and by the next day, nearly 1,000 people were scouring the woods and bushes surrounding the Cox cabin to help search for the boys. Oh, that's awesome. In fact, some searchers traveled from as far as 50 miles away to aid in the search. Wow which was unheard of at that time, even with the introduction of railroads in the 1830s. Yeah. Because you got to keep in mind, this is like a mountainous area, so they probably would have traveled by, like, horse, Mm -hmm. maybe by carriage. Such a a rural community, too. That's 
I know, I know that rural communities tend to be tighter knit just because of mm-hmm. necessity, but like that's that's really impressive. <laughs> that's really impressive. That's what I thought. I was like, wow, that's that's really cool. In order to keep the search going at all hours, fires were lit and volunteers carried torches, hoping that if the boys saw the fires, they would head towards them. Which makes sense. It does, but like you're in a wooded area with a bunch of fires. <laughs> Be careful, please. I think they were controlled fires, yeah. Keep in mind, this was in the spring. And given their location in the mountains, there was still snow on the ground. And the temperatures at night would have been in the low double digits. Mm, oh no. So like probably in like the 20s, mm-hmm. maybe. 10s. Way too That's cold for a small child. Yeah, that's Fahrenheit, just for our international listeners. (laughs) The last time they had been seen, George and Joseph were wearing light coats. Certainly nothing warm enough to fight off the winter chill. Yeah. Volunteers kept their searches on the west side of Bob's Creek, which was swollen beyond its banks with melted snow. Everyone was convinced that the small children wouldn't have attempted to cross it, even in an effort to find their father as chances were high, they would have drowned. Okay. So that's like so how like, deep it was. The kids would have been reasonable enough to not go that mm-hmm. far. Yeah. The area along the stream was searched as volunteers were starting to fear that they would find the drowned bodies of the boys. Mm-hmm. After two days of searching, almost around the clock, many believed that instead of a rescue mission, it was going to be a matter of bringing their remains home. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a common escalation with searches like this. Well, and I don't know if I really stated, but like they were seven and five, mm-hmm. like, like they were young. Yeah. By day two of the search, which was April 26th, members of the community began to suspect that instead of the boys going missing, their parents had in fact murdered them and were using the guise of them quote unquote missing as a way to gain sympathy and financial gain from their kind neighbors. Well, that escalated real quick. Yeah. Day two, like, oh yeah. my God, let me find your kids. Like, And then, oh my God, you murdered them. Yeah. Okay, so there's got to be some reasoning behind that. Yeah. Searchers turned their sights on the Cox cabin, ransacking it and completely overturning the surrounding land to find the murder bodies of the children but they came up empty-handed. Fun fact, a witch and a dowser were even brought in from Somerset County to help search for the boys. The witch claimed to know the boys' location, but after leading searchers on a wild goose chase through the woods with no sign of the boys, they were quickly dismissed. The dowser didn't fare much better. And for people who are like, what is a dowser? (laughs) It's people who will use dowsing rods with the thought that they will move when they get close to like a certain amount of like water or maybe minerals and they're supposedly able to like lead you towards whatever you're searching for yeah dowsers were originally used to detect water underground so you Mm -hmm. knew where to not put your house (laughs) yep (laughs) <laughs> and if you were looking to make a well, like a good yeah. spot to dig to make a well. Yep. So not 
super scientific, and I don't no. know how that would have helped with locating people. But... Well, that was that was probably more of the mystical, faith based. Mm-hmm. The spirits will lead them to. Yeah, yeah, because there's also that bit too. Yeah, this very well could have been the end of our story had it not taken a strange twist. Enter a man named Jacob Jai Debert. His name is spelled really weird, and I don't know how to pronounce it based off where he lives. It's D-I-B-E-R-T. Dibert? So, yeah, I'm going to say it's Dibert. If it is Dibert, I apologize in advance. Or Debert. Maybe. It could be like a French or Cajun. Yeah. Jacob Debert. I could not find any pronunciation anywhere online, so... Let's do Debert, because it sounds... It sounds fancier. It sounds nice. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll just say it's Jacob J. Debert. Again, please don't come at me if I did it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Jacob was born on September 29th, 1822, in Imlerton, Pennsylvania. At some point, he married Sari Wysong, and the pair had six sons together. Dang. Yeah. Isaac W., Josiah, Samuel, John Henry, and Albert. Jacob was 33 at the time that the Cox boys went missing. He was a farmer that lived fairly close to the area where the boys went missing. He lived about 10 to 15 miles away. I couldn't okay. get an exact stretch of... I don't think you could get an exact stretch <laughs> at that yeah, time it... in the mountains. Yeah, because there were sources that were like, it was 10 miles, it was 12 miles, it was 15. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Having heard about the missing children, he told his wife that he wished his dreams would lead him to where the boys were located. And if the tales are to be believed, they did. On May 2nd, 1856, eight days after the boys had disappeared, He had a dream that he was walking along a path in the woods where he crossed a stream by means of a fallen log before he proceeded past a dead deer, a child's shoe, and came to a ravine. It was there that he found the boys at the foot of a broken birch tree, alive but fatigued and tired. When he woke up the next day, He chalked the strange dream up to the fact that he had wished to find the boys. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. And even though he shared the details with his wife, he didn't say anything to anyone else. Mm. But when he had the same dream again on the third, in which one of the boys had perished, and on the fourth, Mm. where the second boy had died, he listened to his wife and went to seek the help of his brother-in-law, Harrison Wysong, who lived near the Cox home. On May 7th, Jacob told Harrison the contents of his dreams, and Harrison believed he knew the location he was talking about, but that it didn't make any sense. If what Jacob was seeing was true, they would have to cross Bob's Creek, which everyone believed to be much too deep for them to attempt to cross. Yeah. Regardless, on May 8th, the pair ventured out to see if what Jacob saw was actually a map to where the boys were. Mm -hmm. And it was all true. Jacob, who was unfamiliar with the woods as he lived around 10 to 15 miles away and hadn't been part 
of any of the search parties up until that point, was able to confidently navigate it just as he had in his dream. Across the swollen Bob's Creek via the felled tree, Mm -hmm. past the dead deer, to the child's shoe, into the ravine, and to the bodies of the boys who lay huddled in the roots of a broken birch tree. Thirteen days after they had disappeared, little George and Joseph had been found. Jacob was overcome with grief, believing that it was his fault that the boys had died, as he was afraid to act on his dreams on the off chance they had been a hoax. Yep. I was just going to say he was probably racked with guilt that they were both alive on that first dream, and he could have saved one of them on the second dream. Yeah. Which, you know, it's hard, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, it could have been wishful thinking on his part. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible they could have already perished at that point. Well, and if you would have found them, they still could have perished just from hypothermia. And yeah, it wasn't meant to be. Once the bodies of the boys were brought back to the Cox cabin, church bells started ringing all throughout the Allegheny mountain range from Pavia to Bedford and Altoona. Soon the whole community was made aware that the pair had been found. Immediately suspicion shifted from Samuel and Susanna to Jacob. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. Cause how, how would he have known that area if he'd never Mm -hmm. been there? Yeah. Yep. And he's a neighbor. And it's like, how could he know have known exactly where to find the boys uh-huh. if he hadn't been the one that was responsible for their deaths? These suspicions were quickly put to rest when, upon examination, it became apparent that the pair had died from exposure. Yeah. And although the pair had been found huddled together, they had likely perished from hypothermia. I mean, it's easy for an adult to perish from that, let alone a five- and a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. It would not take long. And, like, after 13 days. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah. I just feel so bad that the kids didn't try to go back. Well, that's my next point. So, remember how all the searchers had theorized that the boys hadn't crossed mm-hmm. Bob's Creek? They had, in fact, crossed via that down tree, And they must have gotten lost at that point. Yeah. Unable to find their way back home. Because remember, they were found in a ravine. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's possible they couldn't get out of the ravine or they just weren't sure which direction to go. Mm -hmm. Because they had likely traveled out there. You know, they went out there in the dark. Mm -hmm. So they might not have remembered the tree or even what direction they had come from. Mm-hmm. Because, again, they're seven and five. Like, yeah. And if you're seven and five, too, you don't think of, I need to retrace my steps. You're thinking of, yeah. I'm lost and scared, and if I sit here, my parents will find me. Yeah. Like, it's entirely possible that they were like, if we just stay, stay here, they're going to find us. Mm-hmm. The boys are buried at the Mount Union Cemetery near Pavia, and to this day, Jacob DeBear and Harrison Wysong are remembered as heroes for their part in bringing the boys home. Mm. The people of Pavia wanted to commemorate the two boys 
And in 1906, on the 50th anniversary of the tragedy, they raised funds to erect a monument to honor the lost children of the Alleghenies. In 1910, four years later, after they'd raised enough money, a memorial was constructed on the spot where George and Joseph were found in present-day Blue Knob State Park along Siana Run. Again, I may have pronounced that wrong. That's okay. It is currently protected by a structure covered in chicken wire to prevent vandalism. Good. Visitors will often leave mementos for the two boys, and many who visit the spot have reported paranormal activity, such as the sound of children's voices, footsteps, and some people have claimed to see children's footprints in the ground. It's terrifying. In the May 8, 1906 edition of The Searchlight, it noted, quote, after a lapse of half a century, a monument to the lost children of the Alleghenies has been erected in the mountain wilds of this county and will be dedicated with impressive ceremony next Tuesday, the 50th anniversary of the finding of the children's bodies. The monument, which has been erected in the mountains on the spot where the, the little bodies were found, is a handsome marble shaft, five feet in height. On the face of the monument is the inscription, the lost children of the Alleghenies were found here May 8, 1856, by Jacob DeBear and Harrison Wysung. In the base of the shaft will be placed newspaper accounts and other data pertaining to the affair. End quote. The November 11, 1956 edition of the Pittsburgh Sun Telegraph further described the monument as follows quote, the monument was erected by the citizens of Pavia with this concise legend, Joseph S. Cox, five years, six months, and nine days. George S. Cox, aged seven years, one month, and ten days. Children of Samuel and Susanna Cox, the lost children of the Alleghenies, were found here May 8, 1856, by Jacob DeBear and Harrison Wysung. Annual ceremonies were held for many years at the monument. The custom was dropped long ago. Pavia Boy Scouts have tried unsuccessfully to restore the grounds. The unyielding forests of 100 years ago are unyielding still. End yeah. quote. That would be difficult. Nature's yeah. always going to take over. You know? yep. And remember Jacob? Mm -hmm. He went on to serve as a corporal in the Civil War passing away at the age of 42 on October 26, 1864, from dysentery at Point of Rocks, Virginia, where he was buried in a mass grave near the battlefield. Mm. He is listed on the Soldier's Monument that was erected in Mount Zion Cemetery on May 25, 1909, to honor the 16 soldiers from Pavia who enlisted in the Civil War and never came home. Mm. And lastly, a song was written in 2007 titled Jacob's Dream that was performed by Alison Krauss. Really? Dang. Some of the lyrics of this ballad include, and this is kind of sad, as you can imagine. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but I, like, I love Alison Krauss, but she has some pretty tragic stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like haunting. If you aren't familiar with Alison Krauss, but know the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, you're familiar with Alison Krauss. Okay. I didn't make that connection. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's good to know. <laughs> Quote, 
In the spring of 1856, with the snow still on the ground, two little boys were lost in the mountains above the town. The father went out hunting, the boys had stayed behind, while mother tended to her chores till they wandered from her side. Now Jacob de Bear woke one night from a strange and eerie dream. He saw a path between two hills near a dark and swollen stream. He told his wife he saw the boys huddled close beside a log. For two more nights the dream returned, this vision sent from God. Oh, Mommy and Daddy, why can't you hear our cries? The day is almost over. Soon it will be night. We're so cold and hungry, and our feet are tired and sore. We promise not to stray again from our cabin door. End quote. Don't do that, Allison. That's really not okay. <laughs> yeah. I refuse to listen to the song because I was yeah. like, I will burst into tears. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. If you do want to hear it, you can search for it on like YouTube and it'll pop up. And that is the story of the lost children of the Alleghenies. Mm. Just sad. It is sad. But incredible how the community just rose up. Mm-hmm. And a neighbor found them. Yeah. And I just thought like the, I don't know if you want to call it paranormal, but like the supernatural aspect mm-hmm. of him having this prophetic dream about where they were and that it was it's actually true. true is just bananas really fascinating mm-hmm. the art of crime is a brand new history podcast about the unlikely collisions between true crime and the arts season one is titled the unusual suspects artists accused of being jack the ripper it profiles six renowned artists who have fallen under suspicion as the Whitechapel murderer, history's most notorious serial killer. Lewis Carroll, yes, the guy who wrote Alice in Wonderland, is the suspect best known to us today. Joining him, among others, are the master wig maker and costume designer, said to have supplied Scotland Yard with disguises while it was hunting the Ripper. The actor who originated the dual role of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and was playing it in London at the time of the killing spree. And the Victorian equivalent of a pop star whose brother, it so happens, has also been accused of committing the crimes. As you meet each artist, you'll find out who they were, what it was like to work in their trades in the Victorian period, and why they've been nominated as Ripper candidates. You'll also explore this larger question. Why have artists, especially great artists, proven so attractive as suspects? Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to visit artofcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. Now this is a story all about how I got killed and I got revived. The story is mental and it's properly fucked, so I'll tell you it slowly whilst my dick's getting sucked. West London, born and raised in the synagogue is where I spent most of my days. Praying hard, playing harder, that's how I rolled. Trying on me mama's bonnets like a mannequin doll. But a couple of 
hats, they were a little too high. I went crashing through the floor, but then I killed a guy. I dented one little hat, and me mum got mad. She said, go fuck yourself and go to hell like your dad. I whistled at a bird, she seemed well impressed. She had a pretty smile and lovely breasts. If anything, I could say she was a seven. I docked her some points when she said she was from Devon. She pulled me off in the park after one or two dates And when she was done I said, hey, we're just mates I'm the king of the hats I was finally there Now the boys of cold callers will get mauled by a bear What did that mauled mean? by a bear? Mr. Hardy, none of that makes any sense You didn't even explain how you were revived from death Look, Wayne, I need to handhold If people want to know how I died they got to listen to season two If they want to know why the fuck I'm still knocking about they got to listen to season three Tell them where it is Listen to Hardy's Hardest Hats Wherever you podgoblins get your podcasts from on a lighter note, this week's <laughs> podcast plug is Hardy's Hardest Hats. <laughs> Join Tom Hardy, it's not really a time Tom Hardy, in his lifelong pursuit to find the toughest, most durable hat ever, made with hands, be it human or otherworldly. Definitely not made by feet, though. <laughs> feet are weird, mate. <laughs> Tune in every week for another installment chronicling his hat ventures as he meets many special guests in an adventure that eventually spans across all space and time. Nice. And we will have a cramp word segment coming up soon where Tom Hardy and Bane <laughs> will be on the segment. So nice. look forward to that. It was a very fun time talking to the two of them. <laughs> What's something good you'd like to share? Something good. Honestly, my something good is... So I am in the process of finding uh, another job. Mm -hmm. And it has been a very tedious and interesting couple of months. It's been longer mm -hmm. than anticipated, but I've been talking to other people and I find a little comfort in the fact that I'm not alone. Like this is kind mm -hmm. of the job market where everybody's like, oh yeah, you can easily get a job, but that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> but in this time, I currently don't have health insurance, which is, you know, not the best for a type one diabetic. And I had gotten my continuous glucose monitor, which is an automatic readout of my my blood sugar numbers. The battery had died and it's incredibly expensive to get a new one. Uh, on average, it's, it's usually about $600 uh, without insurance for three months. Damn it. Yeah. And the sensor that you need for the battery to read is about three to six hundred dollars for for a single month God. without insurance there's no coupons for it you can try to apply for assistance on the website but that takes a lot of time mm -hmm. and I had gotten really really low to a, a fairly scary level mm -hmm. and my family had called and they were like, we're just going to give you money. <laughs> mm. 
to have that CGM again. So I took a look in Costco here. Fun fact, any other di type 1 diabetics or diabetics in general, the transmitter went from $610 to $128. Wow. And that's without insurance or coupons. And the one month of sensors went from, you know, five, I think it was 540 for this one, like, quote unquote, discounted site mm -hmm. to 309 for a single month. Wow. Yeah. So I was able to get it and I have it on my body and I'm feeling kind of as back to normal as possible. But that was my really one good thing because I had a scary night and mm -hmm. it takes your body a little bit to kind of recover from that. You get like a hangover where your body's like really high and really low and really high and really low just trying to re-regulate. Mm -hmm. And so having this system back in after that has made the recovery a lot easier and I have some exciting interviews next week and hopefully I won't have to <laughs> not pay without insurance for my next round but that's my one good thing awesome sorry for the long-windedness of it <laughs> no that's good I could rest my throat for a while <laughs> what's your one good thing so as I mentioned, I have been sick the past week and a half. And so obviously I have been unable to go to the gym mm -hmm. to do the classes that I've been doing twice a week with one of my girlfriends who's in my book club. Yeah, And I am thankful for the fact that she checks in regularly with me mm -hmm. like the night before to see if I am down for going the following yeah. morning she's my accountability buddy hey, accountability buddy accountability buddy and <laughs> you know she understands that i got sick because for Children. those that are unfamiliar at least here in minnesota right now both the flu and rsv are running rampant here like it's the numbers are higher than they have been in the past, and it's... It's pretty much taking over every school, and the RSV, surprisingly, like, which is fairly atypical, is hitting a lot of adults mm -hmm. and, like, older children, which is not common or hasn't been common here. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of a double whammy. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, general colds and allergies and... Yep changes to pressure <laughs> yeah and I think because my youngest did test positive for RSV I think it's entirely possible because I have asthma so to some extent mm -hmm. I am a lot more susceptible to higher risk to respiratory diseases and because RSV is a respiratory disease it makes sense that I would get it <laughs> despite my best efforts to distance myself within reason because I'm not going to be like, my child has the plague. Get away yeah. from me. Hi. Stay in this room now. Yeah. Hashtag no. And <laughs> I thanked her for, you know, trying to hold me accountable, yet mm -hmm. being understanding because she's an elementary school teacher, so she gets it. They've mm -hmm. had a lot of kids out. And she was like, you know, well, thank you, too, because you give me, you've been providing me a reason to continue 
sticking with it in the mornings mm -hmm. because we it's carpool hard. together. Yeah. And she's like, so just as you appreciate me checking in with you, like I appreciate the fact that you were also holding me accountable to this thing we have both committed to. Mm -hmm. So that made me feel good. And I'm feeling well enough where I am going to attempt to go again on Tuesday. So the day before okay. this comes out, because I miss it. Mm -hmm. Like, I realize it kind of sounds a little masochistic given like the stuff that we do in the class. Mm -hmm. But I did that whole week that I was sick, like miss going because mm -hmm. it's a fun group of ladies. It goes by really quick just because mm -hmm. it's interval training yeah. and it's really early in the morning. So then I still have my entire day when I get back, like I'm home by 630 in the morning. Mm -hmm. So then I have like all this time in the morning I sleep better. So, mm -hmm. so thank you, Amy, for being my accountability buddy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you ready? I am. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. All right. A great way to support the show if you want to help out, but you can't do so financially. We get it. It's the holidays. Mm -hmm. You can leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, or really whatever podcast platform you listen to that allows you to leave reviews. Mm -hmm. This week's review comes from our friend Paul Babel from the History Rage podcast, mm -hmm. who Goodbye. we've had on a couple times. And he says, if I had to choose four things I like, then it's the bizarre, the historical, the criminal, and the funny. And Yield Crime delivers all four every week. Keep mm. up the good work. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Paul. You are a gem, and we love you. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, Become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. I don't know what sales are happening on Tee Public. Just assume there is one. There's there is one at some point. Mm -hmm. And when I know that, I will note it <laughs> on social media. But after knowing for a full month, I feel a little I feel a little bad that I don't know. <laughs> I do know that today is the last day of the cyber sale that they are having today as in wednesday november 30th okay teas are 13 dollars, and everything else is 40 percent off so if you awesome. would like to get your swag on maybe get some things for holiday gifts if you do order by today you are guaranteed to have it in time for christmas awesome. so um, just as a little incentive to get that Yay. ordering in if you want to Take advantage of this sale. Mm -hmm. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. 
If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at Yield Crime Podcast. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. <laughs>